Hello again, everybody. Welcome to our Not About Us podcast series. Today, we're going to be working on Genesis again. As always, I'm Scott. And I'm Brad. And this is Not About Us. All right. So we are moving on in Genesis. We're in Genesis, the second chapter. Uh, going to start with verse 9 today. So I'm hoping you guys are ready to go. Uh, Brad, would you like to start us off with some prayer today? Absolutely. Yahweh, once again, here we are doing another Genesis podcast. So far, this series of podcasts has been inspiring and enlightening. It's been pretty awesome and blown my mind at times. And that's because it's all about you. I'm going to ask that you come in here today and that we produce yet another interesting, inspiring, good podcast. But we can't do it. Only you can. So Yahweh God, will you be with us now? Will you bless this time, this time as we study and look into your word into the origins in Genesis. As always, God, we love you, we adore you, we cherish you, and we appreciate you. Thank you for being our God. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Brad. Okay, so as I said before, we are at Genesis 2.9. We just wrapped up. Yahweh Elohim planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed in Genesis 2.8. So Genesis 2.9 continues on. And out of the earth made Yahweh Elohim to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. Now this is pretty cool. Uh, I like this uh this imagery here tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden the tree of life in the garden and all the trees that are good for fruit and and just just good to look at all the trees that were pleasant to behold and i just like this image uh now i want to go back really quick we mentioned this last time in genesis 2 5 No shrub of the field was yet in the earth. No herb of the field had yet sprung up for Yahweh Elohim had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the earth. We talked about man, certain things hadn't uh, grown up because man was not there to work the field yet. So here we have this image of all of these trees and trees are the only things mentioned here. Why? Because nothing is here for man to till. He's not working. He's an infant. He's being cared for completely. All is given to him without any effort of his own. So I don't know what you think, Brad, but I like this idea of this place where he can just, he's just walking around enjoying himself the whole time. And he can just, if he wants to eat, he just, oh, I want that. Just pull it off the tree and start to eat. Well, and what I really like about this too is I'm a, I appreciate small things like, looking at trees and looking at the sky, looking at clouds. I just, the beauty of God's work, you know, so here it even says they are good to look at. Yeah. You know, I, to me, I just, 
I appreciate this so much. I've been drawn to this passage because I do. I appreciate those, those, the small things. But God is, in my mind, is the ultimate artist. I mean, mm-hmm. everything that we do is just a pale comparison of things that he already did. And just thinking about looking at, walking through this garden and looking at these trees, these big, beautiful trees. And then yeah. on top of that, you have two that are special. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just be like, what would it be like to, to walk through that garden and then come across, you, everything is beautiful and wonderful to look at, but then suddenly that tree, uh-huh. it's even more beautiful than the other ones. Just that image has always been interesting to me. Yeah. It, and it makes me wonder, what does the tree of life look like? Right. I mean, it's easy to think, oh, the fruit of the tree of life, that's got to be good to eat. You know, there's an obvious thought there, but... But you're right. In all of these trees that are beautiful and pleasant and wonderful to look at, there's this one special tree. It's like, what makes it stand out? I wonder if I'm going to see it and go, oh, that's that's got to be the tree of life. You just know. Right. You know, does it stand taller than the others? Does it stand in its own little grove? Does it, uh-huh. you know, who knows? But something that uh, I never really saw um, until more recently, in all of Scripture, trees are actually very important. Trees are mentioned all throughout scripture, yeah, um, you know, and roots and branches and all those kind of things. But here we have kind of the first real mention of that. Yes. And so I don't know if there's something interesting to that or not. You're making me wonder now if I should have looked up the word tree, but uh, I didn't. I didn't. Sorry. And as we've said before, I'll say again, uh, guys, if you're listening to this and going, why didn't they cover this or that? You know, this is just me and Brad covering what interests us, what grabs us. Please feel free. Comment. Uh, send us an email, say, hey, what about this? I'm interested in that. Or I've also researched this chapter and I found something different that you guys haven't covered. Absolutely send it to us. We hope we're ministering to you, but we want you to minister to us too. Absolutely. Okay, so let's go on. There's something, I don't think I'm gonna catch you unawares with this, Brad. I think I've covered this with you this before. But uh, I will ask people when going over this verse, and I'll ask you now, which of the trees, uh, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which one of them was planted by Satan? Do you know the answer to this? I feel like you've trapped me with this before. <laughs> <laughs> think I have. <laughs> Neither of them should have been planted. Neither of them. That's the answer. Okay. <laughs> but the problem is because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, now I'm skipping ahead in the story. We know what happens. They eat of the fruit and everything bad happens. People have this idea that that is a bad tree. As an evil tree. There's a lot of people who consider it to be a temptation placed by God. I've heard it, I've heard it literally preached on that that was a temptation because man needed free will. And if God didn't put that in, then Adam at this point didn't have free will. He needed a choice to love God or choose something else. And without this tree, he had no choice. So there was no real love. And I've heard that preached before. But that's not entirely accurate. First of all, Adam always had a choice, whether there was this tree or not in the garden. Adam always had a choice to choose himself, just like Satan did, just like Lucifer did. Uh, He always had a choice to walk away from God and choose anything else. However, we have to understand, like this verse says, and out of the earth made Yahweh Elohim to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also, 
in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God planted these trees. They're perfect. We need to comprehend that. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a perfect thing. Brad, do you think God knows perfectly between good and evil? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So this tree is a physical manifestation of an aspect of God, just as the tree of life is. God is life, and this tree is an aspect of him in the same way. No, it is not evil. It is a wonderful thing, this tree. It is a perfect, wonderful thing. Now, there's much more I want to get into about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. However, I'm going to save that. I'm going to save that for later when we get into uh, the fall of man and them actually and the warnings that God gives them about it, and we get more into greater detail about this tree. For right now, I just want to point out, this is a godly tree. We should not treat this tree as an evil thing. That confuses a lot of people because they see the horrible things that happened to Adam as a result of this tree, and they think it's got to be a horrible a horrible thing. It's not. It comes from God. It reflects who God is, this is a very good thing. I wonder if that's just because we try to make excuses sometimes for the bad things that we do. You know, it wasn't me. It was, it was the tree. Yeah. Know? Yeah. No, that that could very well be. Just a thought. And in fact, that's, I, we're skipping ahead, but that's one of the things Adam did. First first thing, you know, God comes and says, <laughs> okay, what have you done? And Adam goes, wasn't, wasn't me. me. It was the woman wasn't you gave me. me. Was, yeah. That's the <laughs> very first thing. It, uh, and then he goes to Adam, what have you done? It was the snake. You know, it wasn't me. Uh, we don't want to take responsibility for ourselves. We never do. It's not a natural thing. That's a very good point. But uh, anyway, I'm going to move on. Now, the tree of life, I just want to reiterate something that we've talked about before. And this word for life, kai, it's the same word that God used for beast. So, which I think is really cool here. And just to kind of refresh our memory, it means alive. So it is, it's the tree of life. But something else in the middle of this that uh, we've, we've mentioned earlier, but I want to point out especially here, one of the terms, one of the definitions of kai is congregation and multitude. So this is the tree of life. It's the tree of the congregation. It's the tree of the multitude. Life is in the whole body. And, and God designed it to give us all life. He wanted... His, he wanted every single person to be living with him. And here we see this in the very word life, that within the definition of life itself is his entire congregation, the multitude uh, that he created. So I think that's pretty special and something we need to always remember. And also, as we mentioned before, one of the word pictures here is to be separated from your work. Um, chit and yod to be separated from your work. Now, we mentioned that earlier is that's eternal life, is we work here on earth, uh, we work our whole lives, we work for him, and then we die, we go on to our eternal reward. And life, eternal life, is that separation from work, it's that rest for all of eternity, just enjoying him for the rest of time, for the rest of forever. But here... We really see it in Adam in the garden, separated from work. He's an infant. He's not working for anything. He's just enjoying God. So I think the word picture here 
has has kind of a special place. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, totally agree. Now, something else I want to talk about before I go on. I should have started with this. That as I was researching this, I came across some more information about the definition of these word pictures. And it, it basically explained there were a couple different sites that had the same information. But it basically explained the words we've been using, which are accurate, don't, we don't have to limit it to them. There's other ideas that are attached to these that we can see. They make logical sense. It's basically the word picture in Hebrew, they limited it. They, they, they said, okay, these are the English words that come closest to fitting it. But there's, there's a broader idea. For example, vav means nail, peg, add, and it also is the the English word and. Well, the idea behind this is joining together, like a nail. Put it through two boards, now the boards are together. Making secure, becoming bound. So you can see there's a logical progression to what it means, nail, peg, and even the word and in English. It's joining together, two things in, in the English language. I have peanut butter, I have jelly. Now I have peanut butter and jelly. They're together. Uh, so I'm going to kind of expand upon some of my word pictures and definitions as we go on here with some of these things. So we are going to go even deeper? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought these were pretty cool. Cool. Um, for uh, another example here, Aleph, the first letter, Ox, strength, and leader. Now, those are the definition, the English definitions we have. But as, as these things went into, like it also refers to gentle and tame. And, and the reason you get that is because the idea behind these is like an ox is very powerful, but it's pulling your cart. It's not, it's not being raucous. It's not being wild. It's just very calmly moving in a straight line, pulling your plow, pulling your cart, whatever. Yeah. It's got incredible power, but it's also very gentle with you. It's very slow moving, very very careful. And we've also mentioned some of these before that we've kind of stumbled onto. So Aleph also, because it's the first letter, it means that which is first. And so therefore it refers to Adonai. It refers to Yahweh. It refers to, you know, Father God. Well, even what you were just talking about, the ox being powerful yet gentle with us, Mm -hmm. that immediately screamed God to me too. Oh yeah. And in fact, another thing it means is teach because it's like the leader the strong leader being, you know, gentle, you have to be led by the leader. So the leader is the one who has to teach you where he's going. And something else I thought was cool is I found teach in two different places. It's also in Lamed, which stands for staff, goad, control, and then the English word toward. So it can also mean teach because he's a, it's like a, this is more of a shepherd's picture it's like he's goading you towards where you need to be. This is a teacher saying, come on, let's go. Let's move forward. Let's, let's learn. Um, so lamed can also mean to prod, and it can also mean the noun prod. Uh, it can mean to urge forward. It can mean to learn as well as teach, and it can also mean tongue. So these are all, basically, it's, it's, the idea is that staff, goad, control, these are the closest English words they could come to to represent all of these concepts. But the word picture in these letters 
we have to understand it's not just limited to staff. That's it. That's it right there. Staff. That's you, you have your staff. No, it's limited to all the ideas that a staff represents. Uh, another one that's pretty cool. Uh, that I thought, actually, they all are pretty cool. But Sheen, uh, what we've been given is eat, consume, destroy. Uh, well, they said what it is is uh, the Sheen itself, it's like three spikes coming up when you look at the letter, and this represents teeth. And this is why we get eat, consume. But those teeth, also those points can mean the point of a rock, a peak, something very sharp. So here's where we get destroy, uh, consume, that kind of thing. It can also mean El Shaddai. Uh, that came in here, and, and not going to go into why it means that right now because there's, there's more of a discussion around those. But anyway, so I want to get into these. Feel free to look them up, research these on your own, and check them out. There, there's, these word pictures are even more expansive than I originally thought, and I, I love seeing the expanded work. So we're going to get into those a little bit more as we go on here too. But anyway, the word picture here, oh, we already went into the word picture. Sorry, I'm moving on now. <laughs> uh, now we're in knowledge. So we had the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I looked up that word knowledge, and it's just the word da'ath, and it means knowledge. It can also mean cunning, but that was pretty straightforward. But I liked the word picture here. Dalet ayin tav. Now, the possible interpretation of these that I saw that really touched my heart was the pathway to experience the covenant. And the reason I appreciated this, Brad, let me ask you, what's the difference between knowing about God and knowing God? So to me, it's, it's all relationship. So I can know about my wife, but if I am in a relationship with my wife, I know all about her. I don't know. I guess it's just more intimate. It's more... Exactly. There is... I know a lot about Abraham Lincoln, but I never knew Abraham Lincoln. I know a lot about various people in history, various people in the world today that I've read about, seen their movies, had, uh, heard interviews, but I've never met them. I don't know them. Right. And there's a difference here. Knowledge. This word knowledge. God really wants us to know him, not just know about him. Now, knowing about him is important, and that's really what we're doing right here. But guys, if this is it, then it, there's there's failure going on. It should not stop here. The, the whole design was it should never stop here. The Bible is not the end-all, be-all. The Bible is a guide to get you to be in a relationship with the person who is the Bible, with the very Word of God, Jesus himself. We need to have knowledge. Knowledge, not just about him, but we need to know him. We need an intimacy with him. We need to walk with him, talk with him, experience him. And that's what the word picture is here. The pathway to experience the covenant. So to know God, we have to walk this path with him. We have to, as Brad said, 
uh, when he experiences his wife, when he talks with her, when he laughs with her, when he hugs her, when he holds her, when he finds out her joys, her fears, all of those things, he intimately knows her and he expresses himself in the same way. They have intimate knowledge about each other. It's not just, I know about her, it's I know her. I know who she is inside and out. And that's the way we're to know God. That's what he wants. He doesn't want us to know about him, or at least he doesn't want us to know just know about him. He wants us to know him. Walk this path. Experience the covenant for yourself. That's why I really loved this word picture here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then, of course, I'm a firm believer the more you know God, the more you work on your relationship with God, the more he reveals of himself. Yes. It takes work, but it, it's worth it. Just like mm-hmm. it takes work to know my wife, but it's worth it. So anyway, very that's, much. That's yeah. me just preaching. <laughs> work on your relationship with God. It's totally worth it. But now I want to get into the word good. It's Strong's Concordance. Oh, by the way, I never told you knowledge is Strong's Concordance number 1847. I didn't go. I like to put those numbers out so you can look it up yourself and check it out. Da'ath, knowledge, is 1847. Good is Strong's Concordance, number 2896. And I will say, in Strong's Concordance, this was another word they relegated to the appendix. I had to go to other sources to find out this was actually the word used in this spot. But the word is tobe. Now, another thing I should point out here, that this word can also be pronounced tove. So it can end with a B sound or a V sound. B is in boy, V is in victory. Uh, it can be pronounced either way. Now, so some of you listening, if you have heard me mispronounce something, I apologize. I'm not trying to. But there are times when you might hear me pronounce something and then you hear someone else pronounce the word and wait, wait, they're different. There are some acceptable variations in Hebrew that could be the reason. And this is one of them. Uh, in Strong's Concordance, it's spelled in English T-O-W-B and it pronounces, it says the pronunciation is T-O-B-E, Tobe. Uh, but I've heard other people spell it and pronounce it tov, and they are absolutely right. It, it can be pronounced both ways in Hebrew. Now, this word means good, but it means good as an adjective. It means good as a noun, and it means good as an adverb, which is, I thought, pretty cool. So it means good in the sense like, hey, that's a very good thing, like an adjective. It means good as a noun. Hey, I've got the goods. You know, let's, let's go. It also means as an adverb, as in beautiful, best, bountiful, joyful, or several other variations. I I didn't write them all down here. Um, Now, something I wanted to point out as I was looking into this that really struck me. Don't know how it'll strike you, but this one hit me hard. As I was looking this up online, I found a site. You can look them up for yourselves. They're pretty cool. Uh, It's called Awakening Remnant Coalition. Coalition spelled with a K. And it's just, um, it's just a guy who's basically teaching about Hebrew words. And he does one word at a time. And he teaches, it'll be an hour, hour and a half, just on one word. And as I was looking up this word good, I found his instruction on the word good. And he said something in that instruction that I found very fascinating. And I really liked it. Now, Brad, let me ask you, define good for yourself. What does good mean? One of these impossible tasks. I know. Because <laughs> um, I'm guessing you'd define it pretty much the way I'd define it. Good, pleasant, 
right. Yeah. Makes you, well, I guess you know you can also throw an emotional element in there, something that makes you happy. Right. Uh huh. You know. Yeah, makes you happy, pleasant. We, we these are all I, I believe accurate terms, accurate uh, analogies, uh, definitions. But one of the things he pointed out, which I'd never considered before, is that good cannot be defined in a way connected to your emotions because those change. And the Bible says God is good. Um, and, and we've, I know you and I, Brad, have talked about this type of thing before uh, where the Bible says, you know, Jesus, you know, someone came up to Jesus and said, oh, good teacher. And Jesus says, how can you define me as good? Only God is good. Right. And we know man is not good. Only God is good. So think of it this way. If I say, oh, this chicken soup, and this is one of the things this guy said I thought was a really good analogy. This chicken soup is really good. Try this. And you try it. You take a taste and you spit it out. And you say, oh, that's nasty. That's horrible. How can you like that? We're both judging it based on our own taste buds, which are different. And so we can, one person can call something good that another person says, no, it's not. That's not good at all. So how can God be good based on our own subjectivity? No, he can't be. God is good, period. Whether we like him or not, whether we think he's good or not, he is good. So good has to be something more objective. And the way he defined it in this, and that I like, and, and again, I'm going off what he said. I'm not 100%, you know, just automatically jumping in, but he, he set something off in me that I'd like to research further, and I'm going to explain it to you now. He said, good means it functions correctly, and I really appreciated that. God looked at the light that he'd created, and he said, it is good. It functions, it functions correctly. correctly. He looked at the things he had created and said, it is good. In fact, right here, in this very verse, Genesis 2.9, And out of the earth made Yahweh Elohim to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, which means it functions correctly as food as it should. So if God is good, God functions correctly. Exactly. And Interesting. That, that really struck me. Because of that, now I do believe God is good and as far as he makes us smile, he makes us happy. When we're in that place with him, when we are in alignment with him, yes, it has all these emotional implications and it has greater variety of meaning than simply it functions correctly. But however, think about that. None can be called good but God. And we kind of tend have a tendency to think of that as because man is sinful and man is evil, so we think of man as bad, and, and, and we think of it on emotional terms, but this is really kind of saying God is the only one that's good. He's the only one that functions, functions correctly. He's the only one that is perfect in all of his works. God said he is love. He's always love. He's never not been love. God is truth. He's always been truth. He's never not been truth. Man is not good. Because as much as we try to achieve perfection, we are not always functioning correctly. And without God, we will always not function correctly. Correct. Separated from God, we wouldn't know how to function mm -hmm. correctly. So if we are good, that's because 
God is in us, controlling us, and he is good. He is functioning correctly. We are doing his will perfectly. We're in alignment with his goodness. It just blew my mind, well, that, 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 that concept. And then, then the whole idea of Jesus coming back to make us function correctly, to make yes. the earth function correctly. Mm-hmm. He's going to make everything function correctly. You're doing yep. it to me too, Scott. You're blowing my <laughs> mind. I'm thinking about things now. So I really appreciated that. Go ahead, check him out. Like I said, Awakening Remnant Coalition, Coalition with a K. Google it, search it. He does more words than that. Um, they're pretty cool. And another thing I liked about them is it kind of felt like us. It's just like uh, uh, puts a camera up and he's just a guy in a folding chair sitting on a, a white table in in a, in a basement room kind of just talking about this with a whiteboard up talking. And I was like, yeah, yeah, go for it. You got the knowledge. You got the ability. doesn't have to be, you know, Hollywood production. Go for it. I was like, I really appreciated him. So anyway, the word picture for good, for tobe, it's teth, vav, and beth. And I really appreciated this, what I came up with. And again, you can always come up with something different. There's many different interpretations. But it was surround the house with the nail. The nail, to me, representing the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The nail through the hand was surround the house with the nail. That is good. Surround, protect the house, encompass the house with the sacrifice of Jesus. That is the definition of good, at least the word picture behind it. Yeah. Actually, do you mind if I share something real quick? Very much. Go for it. I, I mean, I mean, go for I don't mind. Go for <laughs> it. That's what I meant. So I, I got curious about the word tree. And so I decided to, I have my own concordance right here with me, so I decided to look it up. I'm going to list a few things. This, the same word that's used for tree here is used for a couple other things. I'm just going to list some things and see if what I saw stood out to you. Uh, the word is, I think it's eights. It's just eights, like you ate something. But uh, it can mean hence, wood, tree, timber, stick, gallows, staff, stock, carpenter branches and planks and stocks but (laughs) carpenters in there yeah thought that was kind of interesting yeah i don't have any connection on it i just saw it i'd have to think about it for a little bit but i mean the fact the fact that jesus was a carpenter i mean there's no coincidence there's no it's not like god went carpenter sure why not right you know no there was a design to what his, his life on earth, too, and what he represented, all of it was. So, yeah, and I also saw gallows in that. Yeah. And uh, that it was a tree that Jesus was hung on. Yep. And, um, wow, yeah, no, you got me. I didn't realize carpenter itself was a part of that definition. That, the carpenter of life, you can say. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my goodness. You blew my mind <laughs> in my own study, Brad. <laughs> All right. My job here is done. <laughs> now, now I'm going to hang on to that. Oh, boy. That's why I love these. We've talked about it before. We, we do these studies without the other one knowing to get that honest reaction. You know, it's like, wow, I've never heard of that before. And to, to have it reflected on me in my own study <laughs> is pretty cool. So now, evil. 
is Strong's Concordance number 7451. Okay, get this. This just jumped out at me. The word, the Hebrew word for evil is Ra. Oh. The very name of the Egyptian sun god is the Hebrew word for evil. And I thought that was pretty amazing. Now, this gets into a lot more uh, that we're getting, we're starting to get into with our Feasts of the Lord series and stuff like that. And we'll get into a little more there. Guys, I'm just going to throw this out at you. I'm not going to go into any more of it right now. You can check out our Feast of the Lord series as we go on, as it gets loaded onto the website. But the birth date of Ra is December 25th. And I'm just going to throw that out, and I'm going to leave it there. not going to touch it right now. Just may let you ponder that. The birth date of the Hebrew word, the, the Egyptian sun god, whose name is the Hebrew word for evil. Now, this word ra, as an adjective, means bad. So we could literally say, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. But as a noun, it means evil, whether naturally or morally. And then there's a variety of things that it can also stand for. Adversity, affliction, calamity, displeasure, mischief, misery, sad, sorrow, trouble, wretchedness, and just plain wrong. So, you know, obviously that all, you know, it's very negative. It's evil. It's bad. It's wrong. It's all of these words. The word picture here, resh ayin, ra. One of the possible interpretations that jumped out at me was the experience of Adam. And we see that in creation here. We see that as the picture, the experience of Adam, the first person, um, our Adam's experience, if you want to think of it that way. Now, there's another thing, and again, I'm going to tease you with this because I'm going to bring it up when we talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil later, when Adam begins to experience it for himself, when God gives us warning. There's another image here in the word picture, and it is first you must see. And, you, and if you're thinking, why does that matter? We're going to get into that later. So it's a colossal tease. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, oh, no, I'm not sorry. I'm having fun with this. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's the, that's the mischievous side of me or evil. <laughs> so Scott, your raw is showing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to move on with that now. We're going to move to Genesis 2.10. And now from here on out, these, these next few verses, we're going to talk about the river that went out from Eden. And Genesis 2.10 says, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it was parted and became four heads. And I want to point out the fact that when I started this Bible study several years ago, I said up to this point, I was kind of, a lot of it was skimming. A lot of it was, I don't, I don't get a lot. I kind of threw an idea out and kept going. But one of the reasons I started this is because, I've mentioned this before, there's a lot of places in the Bible where it would say something to the effect of, and this town was named, you know, some fancy Hebrew word, and it would say something to the effect of, for obvious reasons, you know, because it, you know, represented something. I mean, what do you mean for obvious reasons? I don't get what's going on here. And this was one of the places I came to and I stopped and I said, all right, I'm going to find out the names of these places and what they mean and what picture they tell me uh, because I want to see what's going on here in in cases such as these. So this has a special place for me and we're about to get into. 
because something really jumped out at me years ago that we'll get into now. But first of all, Genesis 2.10, a river goes out of Eden to water the garden and it's parted and becomes four heads. Why four? It becomes four heads. Four is the number of creation. So is this telling us, is this an image, a, a physical picture of a spiritual reality? Is this an image of all of his creation coming from one source? I think so, at least part of it. But uh, that's just me kind of checking this out. I don't know what you think, Brad. I don't know what you think, listener. But uh, that just feels like it to me. A river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it's parted and becomes four heads. I think it's talking about all of creation coming from one source. Yeah, I can see that. Now, again, I I mentioned this before, all of this is what's on my heart and what I'm looking at. You, I, I've left a lot of things out. I had to focus on this river for these next several verses. Real quick, so, can I just say something? Oh, absolutely. Um, I always, I always kind of looked at this too as uh, four points of a compass. So they were okay going off in four directions. So now if we're talking about creation all coming from one source and now going across the globe in four different directions i don't know there might be something to that too yeah no actually uh that's one of the things four is a number of creation and four directions is covers all of creation that's one of the things they point out just like three is a completeness and you have depth width height the completeness of volume past present future the completeness of time in creation North, south, east, west. That's essentially all of creation right there. You go all those directions, you've got it all. Right. Uh, It's kind of the same concept. There are four. Uh, I've heard it said that that's why animals, you know, usually have four legs. Even man, we've got two legs, two arms. We have four limbs. Uh, We're his creation. Uh, Anyway, let me move on. But I I was saying that uh, I kind of got stuck on river through all of this because that had the focus that has there's a lot in here i might have skipped again if you're like what about this what about this please give us your thoughts give us your ideas but river strong's concordance 5104 the word is nahar and it means a stream and the, the reason i found that fascinating is because there's another word there's another hebrew word which means river so I'm like, why did they use the word, the English word river here? Because And I checked it out, uh, and it's fascinating to me because the, the word that does translate directly river in Strong's Concordance is used mostly in Ezra and Isaiah. And I don't know why, what those two stand out for holding those words, but they're almost exclusively, if not exclusively, used in those two books but this word that means stream is used everywhere else in the Bible and it's translated river. And you'll see why. Because this says 5104 is a stream, including the sea, especially meaning the Nile, the Euphrates, etc. So we think of these as rivers, but the word is really more closely associated with a stream. And, and I don't really have an answer, but that struck me. Why, why is it in Hebrew these are called streams and not rivers? Is it, just, is it just the simple fact that to them it was the same thing? 
you know, in English, we think of a stream as a very little thing, and a river as a big, massive thing. Is it possible to the Hebrew mindset? No, they were just synonymous. They were equal, and that's all there is to it. Or is there something more? Is there something that God's saying, look, to me, this is a very little thing. I, I don't have an answer to that, but it, it, it just grabbed me. Yeah, I'm confused now, thinking about it. I wonder if they just are saying, this is a little thing compared to, like, the ocean, or... You know, I don't mm-hmm. know. It's it's. I don't know either, because it's very obviously it's saying a stream, you know, like the Nile. Well, you know, so I don't know where they're going now. Figuratively, this also means prosperity. So there's that that goes alongside it too. But fifty one o three in Strong's Concordance that translates directly to river, but it's not the word that's used here. You know, it's not the use. Again, it's not used in almost all of the Bible, except for Ezra and Nehemiah. And so I wonder, there's probably, there could be a study in that too. Why Ezra and Nehemiah? What do they say? Why is this river? I don't know. It just makes me curious. These are the kind of things I think about. What is the reason for that? He did not do this accidentally. God did not do this haphazardly. Why the difference? And it's so specific. Sometimes when it's just scattered all over, oh, stream here, river there, sometimes I just think, okay, they're kind of interchangeable. But there, there seems to be a design, a very specific mention of, of these words in specific locations here. So I don't know. I'm just going to leave it at that, leave it up to you guys. I don't have an answer. But now, uh, another thing I want to mention about this is we've already... We're only in the middle of Genesis 2, and we've already seen many, many, many mentions of water in a lot of different kind of ways. Here we have another one with river slash stream, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to call it river because that's the way the English does translate it. But this is the first time that a river is mentioned among all of the, the watery images we've had so far. And I got thinking about this. Now, a river flows continuously. It is never the same water. If you come back to the same spot at a river two days in a row, the water at that spot on the second day will not be the same as the water at that spot on the first. The water on the first day has flowed down the river. It's gone. It's for someone else. So I caught this as just an image of the the fresh, the continual movement of God. It's, It's not, we don't have exactly the same thing with God each and every day. The the river of life, the river uh, of God's word flowing through us is constantly changing. He's constantly giving us something fresh and new and different. Even though it's all his water, it's all from him, it's different every time. And Revelation 22.1 says, And he showed me a pure river of living water, also bright as crystal, coming out of the throne of Eloah, and the lamb. So is this picture here in Eden? Because Genesis 2.10 says, and a river went out of Eden. Revelation 22.1 says, the river of life came out of the throne of Eloah. Is this a picture or is it more than a picture? Is this a spiritual reality? The ri- is this the river of life coming out of the garden, Eden, uh, perfection is is this God's throne on earth, 
Or is this just, is this a physical manifestation? Because at this point, sin hasn't happened. Adam is a spiritual being. It made me wonder, is this a physical example or is this the spiritual reality? We have a physical example in, in these rivers on earth, but is what is going on right here before Adam becomes limited to only a physical being, is this also the river of life that's coming out of Eden? Is this the throne of God on earth that's coming out of in the garden? I don't know. I, well, I'm, I can't say 100% sure. I feel like it is, but I won't say absolutely. I don't know. Any thoughts, Brad? Just thinking about the fact that God wanted to dwell with us here. Yeah. So, yeah, he would settle his throne here. Mm-hmm. And then when there was a separation, the river of life is still running, but now it's running from his throne in his throne room in heaven. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know, but it's very... Now, I have said this. There's a lot of people who've mentioned to me, oh, if only we could find where exactly the Garden of Eden was on the earth. And I don't believe that it matters so much. I believe there was a physical location, so to speak, but I don't believe it matters as much because I believe it's primarily a spiritual situation here. I don't believe the tree of life is on the earth and that we can find it and eat fruit that will make us live forever. Like uh, the, oh, what's the, I can't think of it, Ponce de Leon, uh, trying to find the the water that would make him young forever. Um, I don't believe these things are literally physically on the earth in that way. I believe it's a spiritual situation that when Adam sinned and he was cut off from the spiritual and became only physical, the spiritual reality was gone and cut off from him. I don't believe we can find the literal physical garden of Eden on the earth in that way. We might be able to find the location here on the map is where it happened, but to us, it will be just like everything else. The spiritual reality will be separated from us. I won't go into too much detail about it, but I've read some theories about portals. And a lot of times they talk about water being a, uh, what do I say, a conduit to help open uh, a portal. So I don't mm-hmm. know. Could be something just simple as that too. And who's to say that the flood or the that after the flood, even if Eden was here, had a physical location, who's to say it wasn't buried after the flood or yeah. any number don't of know. issues? I just personally believe that uh, primarily you can't look for it physically because it's irrelevant. It's a spiritual situation, right? Uh, once we become spiritual beings, we can experience the garden. We can experience the throne of God wherever we are. We can enter before his throne of grace from wherever we are. Spiritually, it's a reality. We can walk before his throne of grace. Even though I'm in Iowa, you're in Oregon or Taiwan or South Africa or whatever, uh, we can all enter before his throne of grace wherever we are. And I think that's what's going on here. I think Eden is a spiritual location. So whether you want to call this a physical example of a spirituality or the spiritual reality itself at that place, I think this is the the river of life that's branching out from God, whether you want to call it Eden, perfection, the garden, whether you want to call it his throne, it's emanating from God throughout the rest of creation. I've also heard some theories that it's actually Jerusalem and we just can't see it because we don't see through spiritual lenses right now. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, uh-huh. it could be any number of these plus more. Oh, There's absolutely. It always could be more. <laughs> yes. 
always always is more. Now the word picture here, I thought was really nice for a river, nun, hey, and resh. And one of the possible interpretations was just simply look at the life of Yeshua. <laughs> Since he is life, he is the the water of the word washing over us. Um, the river, this constantly flowing stream, is just look at the life of Yeshua. Constantly flowing by, constantly flowing through us. And again, it kind of goes back to know him and knowledge. Just the word picture being the pathway to experience the covenant. This is not a static thing. It's a continually moving thing. I like that. I like that a lot. Now, we get into the actual rivers. I'm going to move through this fairly quickly, but I'm going to go through these next four rivers all together and then kind of come back to them. We'll go over one at a time here. But the first, Genesis, actually I'm going to read them all, uh, then we're going to come back. Genesis 2, starting with verse 11, the name of the first is Pishon. That is it which compasses the whole land of Kavila, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is Bedellium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gikon. The same is it that compasses the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Kidekel, or Tigris. That is it which goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Okay, so we threw a lot of Hebrew pronunciations and everything at you here. We're going to go back to Genesis 2, 11 and 12. The name of the first is, in English it looks like it should be pronounced Pishon. Uh, it's pronounced Pishon, and it is Strong's Concordance number 6376, and it means dispersive, which I think is pretty cool since it's the first river, and we're dispersing from here. But the word picture here, Pishon, Pe, Yod, Shin, Vav, Nun. And the interpretation that struck me was this. The word speaks of a finished work. Destruction with the nail brings life. So that starts it all. And, and I thought that was pretty cool because like we said back in Genesis 1, uh, the end is said from the beginning, from Breshit. And God gave his entire plan from the beginning. Here we have the first river uh, where it starts, where it begins to branch out. And the very first thing he says is the word speaks of a finished work. So from the very beginning of this, we have the end. Destruction with the nail brings life. And I thought that was pretty cool. Now this river compasses the whole land of, in English, it looks like it should be pronounced Havilah, but in Hebrew it's pronounced Kavila. And so this river compasses the whole land. And in this word Kavila is Chet, Vav, Yod, Lamed, and He. And the interpretation I came up with, by the nail in his hand, he has separated us and urges us toward the love shown by his deed. So what we have is the word speaking of a finished work, and the finished work is the destruction with the nail bringing life, surrounding the area or compassing the area of the nail in his hand separating us and urging us toward the love shown by his deed. So I really liked that imagery there. I thought that was pretty cool. 
So Genesis 2.13, and the name of the second river is, and it looks like in English, it should be Gihon or Gihon at least, but in Hebrew, it's pronounced Gikon. And again, this means stream, or it can also mean short. Now, this word, Gimel, Cheth, Vav, Yod, the interpretation I came up with is pride separates from the nail in the hand. Now, this idea, pride separates from the nail in the hand, surrounds or compasses this land called Kush. It kind of looks in English like it should be pronounced Kush or Kush, like push, but it's pronounced Kush. Now, it is the, the, in Strong's Concordance, they, they said it was probably a foreign origin. And I looked up other sources for this, and some people thought it, it didn't start with the Greek, but this, uh, a similar word is Greek for burnt face. Don't know if that means anything, but they, they couldn't figure out essentially the root of this word. Um, but in the Hebrew, it's kaf, vav, and sheen. And what I came up with was we suppress the joining together with El Shaddai. Now, what do we have? The second river surrounds or compasses this whole land of Cush. So pride separating us from the nail in the hand is what surrounds it, it, this area. We suppress the joining together with El Shaddai. Genesis 2.14, and the name of the third river is Tigris. Now, that is Strong's Concordance, number 2313, and the word Tigris comes from the Hebrew word kidekel. So, it's a, it's a, this is a translation. Uh, they didn't bring the exact Hebrew word over. And again, this kidekel, they said, is probably of foreign origin, but in the Hebrew, the word here, the word picture, cheth, daleth, kof, lamed, the interpretation I came up with is separation from the pathway. He falls behind to goad us back to him. Now this, the name of the third river is Tigris. That is it which goes toward the east of Assyria. Now Assyria, Strong's Concordance number 804, and it is a Hebrew word Ashur, and it means successful. And it and it comes from a root word that means to be straight. So the word picture here is aleph, sheen, vav, and resh. And a possible word picture here is the leader, the first. El Shaddai is nailed down as a person. Wow. So here we have this river heading toward the east of Assyria, the river the, the what's moving through separation from the pathway he falls us he falls behind to goad us back to him is heading toward this area this land that represents the leader the first El Shaddai is nailed down as a person so now we get Genesis 2 14 and the fourth river is Euphrates and there's no land explained here there's no and it goes near wherever it just says and the fourth river is Euphrates now, Euphrates, Strong's Concordance, number 6578, Paroth. Now, this is from an unused root word, meaning to break forth or rushing. And an alternate form uh, means, it's a primary root, means to bear fruit, to be fruitful, to grow, to increase. 
The word picture here, pe, resh, tav, possible interpretation that I came up with is the word of God, Yeshua, renews the covenant. Now, the fascinating thing about this is that when you take these four rivers, and this, this, I loved this when I first saw it, and I was so glad to get to this spot to go over this with you. You take all four, all four rivers, just the rivers, and you put them in order because they're in an order for a reason. It's the first, the second, the third, and the fourth for a reason. And this is the word picture that we get in order. The word speaks of a finished work. Destruction with the nail brings life. But our pride and our self-will cuts off our heart from the nail in the hand, from the joining together of man and God with the finished work. We cut ourselves off from the path of life, so he becomes the least to teach us about himself and to urge us into communion with him. He opens the way for us with his person on the cross. The word of God, the head, Yeshua, renews the covenant. Wow. So with these four rivers, we've got the entire plan of God. This water going out, a continual stream, a path. Think of time, so to speak. First, second, third, fourth. It's going in order, and it gives us, in these word and these word pictures, it gives us the entire plan. And at each point, what is really cool is that the first, second, and third each hit on a certain place where at that time, there's another word picture connected to what's going on at that moment. But the fourth one, there's no place. There's nothing. It's just, we win. The very last one, the very last one, Euphrates, the word of God, Yeshua, renews the covenant. It's just we're, we're there. there. There's no moment affecting that. It's just this is it for the rest of time. There's no place associated with it. I thought that was really cool. That is really cool. Wow. You talked about blowing your mind. You did it to me again. <laughs> now, something else about this that I want to briefly mention is the first two rivers, it says they compass the land. The third river heads east. It's east of Assyria. And we've mentioned this before, that word east. It's this, it's this word for eternal east. It's this word for east without end. And when we see what's going on at that moment, we see what he's talking about is the cross, the crucifixion. Separated from the pathway, he becomes the least. He falls behind to goad us back to him. The leader, the first, El Shaddai, is nailed down as a person. I saw this as a picture of God taking us back to the beginning. What we've talked about before in other ways, God's making us new again. He's taking us back to that original covenant. He's going back to the beginning when Adam had not sinned. He's taking us back to the place where there was no sin, no wrong in us, no evil, and repairing and renewing the covenant. And so it has to mention this. He, this, this river goes east of Assyria. It's a picture of the same thing. That's amazing. So I really liked that. I, was, I have been thinking about these four rivers 
from the first moment we started doing this. And, <laughs> and honestly, like I said before, uh, several years ago when I started this, a lot of these verses that led up to this point, I'd just be like, ah, I come up with that and that's it and I'd move on. I couldn't think of anything else. So this, I've really loved this, guys. I hope you have too. But getting to this point, I thought we'd get to these rivers in about two or three podcasts and it's taken us nine to get here. That's amazing to me because it means God just keeps showing me more and more and expanding on this and blowing my mind and I hope he's blowing yours too. So anyway, Brad, I don't want to end without asking you if there's anything else you want to say. I don't want to jump in and assume you're done too. No, I, I've got a lot to think about again because <laughs> you, you do this to me every time. But I I think this is a, a good place. I like the idea that Jesus is working to make sure everything functions correctly again. I and, and even the rivers have told us about it. To anyone who thinks they can deny the, what God has done and what God has said and, and can't see the perfection of all of this, I don't see how you can't. You've got to be blind. This is awesome. And as we continue to dig deeper and deeper, it's just getting more and more exciting. So thank you, Scott. So as always, uh, let me say, well... Not as always. Let me say this time, I really hope these are good, these podcasts. I hope they are functioning correctly. I hope they're exactly what God wants from us for each of you. I am Scott. And I am Brad. And this has been Not About Us.